everybody. It's Pastor Rob here. Uh, I am joined again this week by my lovely, li- my lovely wife, my lovely life, uh, Lydia. Uh, say hi, hun. <laughs> hi, hun. <laughs> and joined by, uh, as always, Pastor Robbie. Hey, y'all. Good to be with you today. All right. Uh, we are very excited to be back again uh, for this episode of the E5 podcast. Uh, and today uh, we have a uh, wonderful another topic, wonderful new topic that we're going to teach about and talk about. Um, and Pastor Robbie came up with this one, and I think it's just fantastic. Uh, kind of goes along with some of the things that we've been talking about over the last episode or two of the E5 podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk about the power of connection today. Um, and Pastor Robbie, I'll turn it over to you because really this was this was your idea for a topic. And I, and I think you've got a really solid direction that, that we can go with and, and build from. Sure. So I am uh, I'm in the process of doing some research for uh, some of my academic work. And in the, in the, in the process of that, I was, I'm interviewing a few professional counselors, psychologists, different folks. And so I was sitting down with uh, an individual, I guess it was two days ago now, and uh, he said to me something that really just stood out to me. He said, he said, Robbie, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And I thought, wow, what a powerful, powerful statement. So I asked mm-hmm. him to unpack that for me some. And so within our within our conversation, we we discussed in a variety of ways. One of those is how past traumas and failures and all these things tend to create a, a grid of shame within us, and that shame causes people to pull back and separate from others. Mm-hmm. And it's in that place that the enemy really begins to attack. When you look in the New Testament, people that are afflicted with an unclean spirit, one of the trademarks of an unclean spirit is that that person begins to separate from society. They begin to isolate. In Mark Mm. 5, we find the guy that's living in the tombs. He's crying night and day. He's cutting himself, all those things. And so another kind of within this, I I read a book by uh, Scott Peck, a psychiatrist, not long ago. And he talked about the power of community. And he said something I thought was beautiful. He said, when you get a community of even five or six people together, that are there for a single purpose and to show love to an individual, it has almost a mystical power about it. That, that there is wow. a, a healing that is released in the midst of that community that cannot take place in isolation under any circumstances. Wow. So as I'm thinking about this, I begin to think, well, what did Jesus say? Well, they came to him one day and they began to say, uh, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Now, I laughed about this whenever whenever I was, I was thinking about it because I, I hadn't made this connection myself. But in Matthew 22, he addresses that. And he says, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's so hilarious is that they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he quoted the second part of what's called the Shema mm-hmm. Israel. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the next verse, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus kind of said, Here, here's the thing. Every 
Orthodox Jew would have quoted the Shema every single day of their life. Yeah. And so they said, Jesus, hey, which is the greatest commandment? And in, you know, Robbie Willis language, he would have said, duh, maybe the one God told you to repeat every, every day. single day yeah. right. of your entire existence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God. Right. So there's this concept that that God calls us in the base of our existence to connection or relationship with him and to connection and relationship with other people. When that's disrupted, we start to see all kinds of things happen. Now, right. being a little bit ahead of myself, one of the things that I'd like for us to discuss today is how faith has become so privatized in, in, in the modern United States mm -hmm. that people actually think of just in terms of my relationship with God, people, I, I remember as a kid interviewing somebody for an assignment and I asked where they went to church and this teacher rebuked me sternly and told me what a horrible child I was and said that was a very personal matter. And uh, then she said, but if you have to know, I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> I didn't know what a Presbyterian was at all for years. And I don't mean any offense if you're Presbyterian listening. All I knew for the next 15 years of my existence is I did not want to be one. <laughs> because I, I didn't know. And I went home and I asked my dad, I said, why did she get so mad at me? Because I asked where she went to church. I said, I just asked, actually, I asked, are you a Christian? And she said, if you have to know I'm a Presbyterian, my father said, well, son, evidently she wasn't a Christian. Christian <laughs> um, now I know plenty of Presbyterians who are devoted to Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. The point oh is this, God. is that sometimes faith gets so privatized that we actually yeah. think that's nobody's business. Right. But the core of the, the greatest commandments are love the Lord your God first and love your neighbor as yourself second. Mm -hmm. That that would seem to imply that faith can't really be a private matter and be a biblical matter. It's something that's right. lived out. What do you think? I mean, loving your neighbor is something that has to be done publicly, you know? Um, and I don't mean you have to be like, Hey, everybody look at me. I'm loving my neighbor, you know, like, like you're running around with a big flashing billboard sign or something that says, look at everything that I'm doing for my neighbor. But no, at the same time, it, it, it doesn't need to be that. But at the same time, if you're going to love your neighbor, that requires you to do something outside of yourself. Uh, it requires you to have community thinking. It requires you to have global thinking. It requires you to have uh, thoughts beyond selfishness. And even when you look at that first part of that commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, you know, that's not even about us right it's about loving god again this is outwardly focused sure. on god with everything that we have within us um you know again i, I guess this is going to be like we we potentially offend people who are christians today <laughs> uh, day on our podcast uh, again if this is if this is how you do things and who you are i'm in no way uh trying to offend you um I'm just sharing a story. My son, when he first started to uh, take take ownership of his walk with Jesus and uh, started to begin to uh, pray um, on his own when he wanted to without without being reminded, hey, pray your prayers at night and, and everything like that. Um, 
his, his mother was was dealing with a, a shoulder injury and was in quite a bit of pain. And I don't know if you remember this or not, uh, but 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 Lydia had had surgery. She was in quite a bit of pain, and. Um, he said, is mommy okay? And I said, yeah, she's recovering from surgery. She's just hurting a lot. She needs your prayers. He said, I'll do it right now. And he folded his hands quietly and he dropped down on his knees and he just began to sit there with this look on his face and his eyes closed. And I said, I thought you were going to pray. He said, dad, you're interrupting my prayer. Now, if, if you don't know me, and and you've listened to this podcast for about 10 episodes. I think you can realize by now I'm a loud person. Yeah. I'm not a, a quiet, inside, reserved type person very often. So if somebody asks me to pray for them, I'm most likely to put a hand on the shoulder and go, Father God, right now I pray. I mean, and people are like, dude, we're in Walmart. You got to... You got to calm down, but I, but I have no chill when it comes to that. I, I don't, um, and so my my preference was to say to my son, "Well, you know, if you you can pray out loud," but he was like, "No, I," because he he is not confident in that yet, and he he, wa- he wanted to keep that in internal and just talk to God, have a conversation inside, and and that's that's wonderful. I'm in no way insulting that, but I am saying that I feel like we've, we've let that become our norm as a society. Like, okay, well, you know, you pray quietly and it's all contained within and reserved and everything. When really, you know, as you said, I perfectly agree that, uh, it's, it's a thing where we're supposed to live this life out loud and live it publicly, live our walk with God in in a, a public manner. That doesn't mean that you have to change your whole personality and become a touchy-feely. Oh, no. I'm going to love everybody physically. No, no, no. Um, But it's just you got to be able to not have the quote, unquote, this is my happy face all the time. You've got to actually smile. You've got to show. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you're going to have joy in your life because he is joy. And one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. So it doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the time because happy is an emotion, but the joy comes out somehow and it's not just doom and gloom every single moment. And physically that has to come out as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's, uh, there's seasons that we go through low places and a season of, of low is normal, appropriate, fine. Mm-hmm. What becomes problematic is when um, those lows take over our entire existence, right? Right. right. To the point that uh, that that we're and we talked about that in our in in our last episode as well as in the last one that messed up and we didn't get to air it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we talked at length about peace. The and lost joy episode. <laughs> in it, yeah. Yes. Um, but. The the whole the whole thing is is how do we move out of those low places when we get there? Part of that is through uh, the power of, of of connecting with Christ and with people that we begin to believe that it is worthwhile to 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 love. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who have opted for lives without love, and they may very well escape some of the specific types of pain that other people. Uh, that other people 
endure, but I would say that that's not without consequence mm-hmm. at the uh, at the same time. I think of uh, in one of my missions classes, probably ten years ago now, we watched this show. It's not a Christian show, by the way. It's it's called The Mission. We watched it to discuss ethics on the mission field. What what should we do? Mm-hmm. What should we not do? And to bring this whole conversation. And so, boiling it down to a real uh, a real quick soundbite would be this is that you have this this uh this priest who has started an orphanage and and all this stuff and then these uh these terrorists that wasn't the word they're using the time these terrorists come and slaughter all kinds of people well these two priests have a disagreement on how they should proceed one of them wants to arm everybody and go after them which i would say is perfectly valid in some circumstances the other refused the other said i'm not i'm not going to go that route and this was this is kind of the heart of our discussion missions is when is it appropriate use force when is it not but this is the the clip that I absolutely loved. One of the men, the, the man that had chose not to fight, says later to one of the kids, he said that 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 he believes, this other man believes that um you know you know that, that we have to display a, a, a display force. And I'm I'm paraphrasing there a little bit. But then he says this, he says, but if might means right, mm-hmm then love has no place in the world. Mm. And it may be so, but I don't have the strength to live in a world like that. Wow. Mm. That's good. Man. Yeah. That's a deep statement. Absolutely. If might means right, then love has no place in the world. And that may be so, but I don't have the strength to live in a world like that. I, I think for me, I understand that there's evils and tragedies that happen in this world, but there's got to come a place where I choose love, you know, and I choose love with God and I choose love with people. And I've got to some someday believe that maybe the entire world is not full of hostile people, maybe 90%. Right. But uh, so the, the power of the power of connection Uh, before we move kind of to the the next phase, I want to, I want to direct us to a passage in, uh, in Exodus that I really love, but y'all have anything you want to you want to add in here before we kind of move forward a little bit? You know what that made me think of is you're talking about uh, might makes right, but if so, I don't want to live in that type of world, or I may not have the strength to live in that type of a world. Um, you know, there there's a very famous uh, magician slash comedian goes by the name of uh, Penn Gillette, who uh, he's a very outspoken. Um, uh, I believe he's an atheist, maybe agnostic. Atheist, that's what he said. I was trying to remember if he's atheist or agnostic. He's very outspoken atheist. Um, and he has openly said multiple times as an atheist that he does not respect anyone's religion who is not willing to proselytize or, in other words, testify and witness about uh, their religion. He says, he, he said, I liken it to this. He said, if I'm standing on a train and there's a train coming through and you fully believe that that train is going to kill me and I don't see it and I don't know that it's there. He said, at some point, you're going to have to address the situation. You're going to have to take action. He says, how much would you hate me not to address this? You know, he says, uh, um, you know, if you really do believe that there is a God who loves me, if you really believe there is a heaven, there is a hell, how much would you have to hate me not to tell me about it? Mm 
And we don't want to offend people. We don't want, well, you know, we'll just let them do them. And, and, you know, we won't yuck anybody's yum or anything like that, you know. But the truth is, you know, love means being confrontational at times. Right. Uh, when we were in Chi Alpha, we didn't call it confrontation. We called it care fronting, you know, because I care enough to confront this. Um, how much do you have to love somebody? to look at them and just say, Hey, the life that you're living is, is not one that is going to be healthy for you. It's not one that's going to be sustainable long-term. I know you think that you're happy right now, and I'm not going to tell you that you're not unhappy because the Bible says that even sin is, is pleasurable for a season, you know, but at some point we, as believers, we've got to be willing to look people in the eye and say, Hey, we love you. And because we love you, that sometimes means we have to have hard conversations with you. Um, and that's all I was thinking of when you were saying that is, is that is, you know, to love somebody means we have to have these difficult conversations. Sometimes, uh, similar to the mission, there's a quote from one of my favorite movies of all time called the Patriot, uh, starring Mel Gibson, where the, uh, the, the preacher, they come to a town to get a militia up and running, get volunteers. And the preacher starts walking off with the militia to join. And and they look at him and they are shocked. And the preacher takes his hat off and he says, a preacher is to defend the flock. And sometimes that means fighting off the wolves. Right. And he goes and joins the militia, you know, and I felt, and, and that's, that's exactly how I feel as, as, you know, believers, that means sometimes it's, you know, we have to show compassion, love, and, and tenderness and kindness. But sometimes that means we have to be willing to fight off the wolves right. uh, from our brothers and sisters and, and help protect them. And, you know, that's that's what I thought of as, as you were talking. And, and, you know, I think honestly, to open up your heart is opening up yourself for pain, for, you know, heartache. But at the same time, sometimes you got to open yourselves up for healing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've been hurt in the past, it's okay to open your heart back up just sure. to heal that pain from the past. Um, and if you're not hurting, you're not growing. I mean, my kids right now, they're eight and three nightly bases. My legs hurt. My feet hurt, you know, because they're growing. They're, Trey's grown two inches in the last six months. Right. So his legs are hurting every night, but that's how it is with our hearts too. If we're not hurting, we're not growing, Mm -hmm. but as we grow, we heal. Right. And so I think just opening yourself up and being in the moment helps you heal. That's really good. Really good. Exodus chapter 24 uh, verse 12 is a, a passage that I've long loved, but In going to verse 12, let's read beginning with verse 9. I'm reading from the modern English version. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there was something like a paved work of sapphire stone, as clear as the sky itself. He did not lay his hand upon the nobles of the children of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to to me to the mountain, And stay there. The ESV says, wait there. The King James Version says, be there. Come up to the mountain and be there. Stay Mm -hmm. there. Wait there. Whatever word we use to describe that, 
you can't miss this, that the entire congregation gets a vision of God in a breathtaking manner. But Moses receives an invitation to come up in the mountain and just be there. Yeah. So why did God say to be there? I mean, what, what what's... What's the force behind this this statement in the context of connection? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I'm going to love the Lord my God, there's got to be moments when I'm just there. Now, it sounds like a contradiction in terms at first. If Moses is on the mountain, Mm -hmm. of course he's going to be there. Of course he's going to stay there. Of course he's going to wait there. Why does God have to bother telling him, come up here and and be here? What do y'all think? Well, to me, you know, uh, from the fact that I, I, I'm mildly uh, ADHD and, and ADD, uh, I understand the concept of I can be there and not be there. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, I can be present in a room and my brain is off singing, uh, you know, show tunes from from the early 90s and 80s and i'm trying to figure out you know the lyrics to the the theme song from full house and you know and things like and then somebody will be like you know what i'm talking about and i go oh yeah yeah totally (laughs) i'm just nodding and i'm I'm with you but no i'm not with you at all um and so that's what i think of when i hear be there right don't just be physically in attendance right be here be present in this moment, be present in that place. And when you look at those other two terms with that, stay there and wait there. When I'm waiting, I'm doing it for a purpose. Right. Uh, there's an intention behind it. So I'm waiting. And yeah, there's an ant- anticipation behind it. I am waiting in this moment, which means that at the end of this moment, something's going to happen. It right. can be, you know, we, we know that from anticipation that, that, that something can work out and it can be this great moment. It can work out and it can be not so good. And then we can have those moments that just fizzle out, you know, sure. um, you know, for anybody who's ever watched a TV show, know that you're waiting for these moments to occur. And then when it shows up, you either go, Oh, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Or you go, well, that's a terrible ending. Or you go, Really? That's that's they didn't really do anything, you know. Right. Uh, th- I, those are kind of the outcomes from waiting. But when you're waiting upon God, you know that it's going to be spectacular, and so you're sitting there and you're waiting, and you've got this anticipation. And when you're waiting, you, you know, uh, you notice things that you don't normally notice because because right. you, you're you've got that expectation about you. When you're present, you notice things that you wouldn't normally notice, and when you stay somewhere you stay there for a long period of time and you begin to appreciate minor details that other people don't, don't notice or don't see. I think what God is saying in that moment about being there, staying there, waiting there, whichever one you want is don't just go up there. Yeah. Really take it in, take this experience in and let it be something that, that, that changes you. Let it be something that shapes you. Let it be something that, uh, this is a moment that you can look back to in your mind and have that memory. Uh, you know, Pastor Robbie, you, you've not lived in the same house your entire life. I know you've moved and Lydia's moved a million times uh, growing up as a PK and now I've moved several times. Uh, but when you stay somewhere for a significant period of time, those things lock in your mind. Absolutely. My sister uh, owns my childhood home. And I went and visited not too long ago. And as I was walking through the house, uh, 
you know, I'm walking down the hallway and I go, okay, this was Lindsay's bathroom and there's Lindsay's room. It's no longer Lindsay's room. It's, it's one of my niece's room. And then I go back to where the, the back where my bedroom was and I look around and my bedroom is all pink now. And I'm like, oh, great. Wonderful. You know, and, and it's my niece's room. It's absolutely her room. But no, it's my room because I remember growing up in that room, you know. And so there's things about that house that will never go away because it's somewhere that I stayed. And uh, that's kind of what I'm grabbing from, yeah. from, from this passage in this scripture is, you know, be there, be present in it so that it lasts long beyond this moment. Yeah. I'm not sure if um, one of the other translations, if we look through, you know, the billions of translations that are out there, if one of the words would be dwell, but that's the word that kind of came to my mind as we were talking. And to dwell there is to make it home. Mm-hmm. to you know not just to stay there but to establish your residence there right. mm-hmm. and sometimes i think that when god you know god's speaking to moses here but at the same time you know i think in today's put it present you know god tells us to stay and wait sometimes right or be there like you know, we say a lot, I made an appointment with God and I'm showing up because mm-hmm. he's going to be there. But if we make our dwelling waiting on the presence of God, something's mm-hmm. going to happen. And I know in our home, we rearrange furniture ever so often. I know growing up, that was my dad's mission. He had to rearrange the stage of the church or the living room of the house at least once a month. That's just what he did. But sometimes our circumstances may change, but if we're still dwelling in the presence of God, something's going to change right. within us. So. You know, I think the, these words, be, stay, wait, these are not culturally normal terms. This isn't how we really do life anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. we're, we're very busy. We're very, we celebrate multitaskers. We, we celebrate busyness, mm-hmm. right? But, but yeah, God is calling Moses to be, to stay, to wait. And a, a lot of times we say, well, I just can't do that. Well, Moses was leading about a million people, right? Right. Um, so he was probably as busy as, you know, say, mm-hmm. you know, your average person that's working a 50 or 60 hour a week job. I'd say Moses understood pressure and commitment, which is probably part of why God had to communicate. When you get up here, you're here. All right. This is where, this is where you're at. Um, and, and those, I can't help but make the connection between this command and what Jesus told the disciples in Luke 24, when he said, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. And only, a, there's probably a hundred, there's probably 500 that received that command in the New Testament, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and only 120 did it. Right. Right. So the majority won't wait. The majority won't stay. The majority won't be. Mm -hmm. But there's something really beautiful and magnificent about when you do. So I was thinking, what what are the things that are if if connection with God and with people is so vital Mm -hmm. uh, in in every way? I'd say it's vital to our spiritual health. Uh, The counselor that I was talking to the other day made it very clear it's it's, it's vital to our emotional health. Uh, I would I think science has adequately proven that it's vital to our physical health, you know, to maintain healthy connections, healthy relationships, and to have the ability to attach in one place for for a time. 
what are death to those connections? There's three that that came to my mind as we were preparing for this. One of those is trauma, and we'll unpack these in a minute. Trauma has to do with our past. Mm -hmm. The other is distraction, Mm -hmm. and that has to do with our present. And the other is ambition, Mm -hmm. and that has to do with the future. How does trauma impact our ability to maintain healthy connections, whether it's with God or with people, one of those ways is that it keeps us rooted in a past disappointment or a past tragedy. And I just want to be very clear that trauma is very real. There's nothing about this that I intend to downplay that. But what happens if we're not careful is trauma takes over our mind in a long-term fashion so that we forget, um, maybe that's the right word, or we, we don't maintain healthy connections with the people that are around us or with God himself. We pull back from God due to trauma because sometimes we're, we're, it's back to this whole thing of omnipotence. We're confused about why he didn't do the things we're convinced he could have done. And we're confused by his omniscience. We, we understand God knows, but I don't know. Right. And it doesn't make sense to me. And then sometimes we pull back from people because in moments of deep trauma, sometimes people are stupid, right? right? That that is sometimes people say things that they mean to be helpful, right? But they're just not, right? Right. I, mean, I remember when Lydia and I uh, had a had a miscarriage uh, just before we moved back to Arkansas. You shared what I think was probably the most poignant advice that I had ever heard anywhere. Uh, when you said that you wish that you had the words to say that would make it better. Uh, and you said that the truth is you don't. And, and that you said uh, when you suffered uh, similar circumstances that a lot of people well-meaningly tried to say something to make it better. And said, and unfortunately, majority of the time, I just wish that they had kept their mouth shut. And that's exactly how I felt in that yeah. moment. And the fact that somebody else could say that to me and, and help me recognize that that that's how I felt was so powerful okay to me. To feel that way. Yeah. And you, you helped, help me to understand it is okay to feel that way. It is okay to feel like even your most wise friends are stupid in this right. moment because they just don't get what you're going through. Sure. And, and so, uh, you know, that's instantaneously what my mind goes back to when how trauma roots you in something. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I trust the wisdom and advice of, of a million different people who poured into my life at that time, but none of them could explain exactly what you had said in that moment. And then later hearing what Pastor David has said multiple times, I believe he said it was uh, your mother who said this, uh, you know, even if God were to give me the answers, I don't think it would satisfy me. Uh, And and those two pieces of wisdom that came from the Willis family, has done more to help me in my life with trauma than I think any other thing that I have ever learned. Um, and so, yeah, totally. I understand. And I'll let you get back to it. Cause I, I know I jumped in in the middle of that, but that's what that no, responded that, made me think of. That's really excellent. I was looking for a story here as we're, as we're talking 
but but this brings us to a really important point. This is kind of a I realize it's a it's a side path, but let's take it for a second. Yeah. About how do we help people who are dealing with trauma? Because mm-hmm. trauma is very real, and I don't want to miscommunicate in this podcast right. that if you're going through trauma, that it's not valid for that to be affecting you. Because that's that's not my heart and not what I'm saying. Right. What I am saying is there has to come a point where through that we begin to refocus on God and on the relationships that he's placed in our lives that are, that are here. Mm-hmm. But how do we help someone with trauma? It, it's actually the, the heart of what we're podcasting about today. You give them the gift of presence without the gift of words. Yeah. God did not say, Moses, prepare a carefully planned monologue and come up in the mountain and tell me how you feel. Yeah. He said, come be here. Yeah. I just want you right here, Moses. That's what I, I need. We don't have to tell people how they should feel. Frankly, they know how they feel. Mm-hmm. We need to give the gift of unconditional love, which is unconditional presence. Yeah. Right. Uh, Job's friends did great yeah. for the days they sat in silence with him. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. But then we then have ruined it by opening their roughly two thirds yeah. of the book of Job is devoted to them talking, only to have God say at the end, "Hey, you guys were not telling the truth about me." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think so much with trauma is the isolation, and so if we can break the isolation, there is healing in, as we're saying, in community, in presence, and I know with what I've been through personally in my life. I did want to shut off. I wanted nobody to know because I wanted to deal with it within myself before I let anybody else in. But at the same time, knowing that somebody else was there, just being there helped me heal, helped me process and say, okay, I think I'm ready to talk. If you'll just listen. You know, that's so good. And when I'm explaining mm-hmm. theology, there's one of my favorite theologians that I like to quote on occasion. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I want to read you a story that some of you may have heard of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so here we go. It occurred to Pooh and Piglet that they hadn't heard from Eeyore for several days. So they put on their hats and coats and trotted across the hundred acre woods to Eeyore's stick house. Inside the house was Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Said Hello, Pooh. Hello, Piglet. I don't have a good Eeyore voice, but here I am. <laughs> said Eeyore in a glum-sounding voice. We just thought we'd check on you, said Piglet, because we hadn't heard from you, and so we wanted to know if you're okay. Eeyore was silent for a moment. Am I okay? He asked, eventually. Well, I don't know, to be honest. Are any of us really okay? That's what I ask myself. All I can tell you, Pooh and Piglet, is that right now... I feel really rather sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, which is why I haven't bothered you. Because you wouldn't want to waste your time hanging out with someone who is sad, alone, and not much fun to be around at all, would you now? Pooh looked at Pig- Pooh looked and Piglet, and Piglet looked at Pooh, and they both sat down, one on either side of Eeyore in his stick house. Eeyore looked at them in surprise. What are you doing? We're sitting here with you, said Pooh, because we are your friends and true friends don't care if someone is feeling sad or alone or not much fun to be around at all. True friends are there for you anyway. And so here we are. Oh, said Eeyore. And the three of them sat there in silence. And while Pooh and Piglet said nothing at all, somehow, almost imperceptibly, Eeyore started to feel a tiny bit better because Pooh and Piglet were there 
no more and no less. Mm -hmm. I submit to you the theology of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a theory, yeah, theory that I've heard. I don't know how, uh, how hundred percent accurate, but at least it sounds like, like it supports some, some evidence there that Winnie the Pooh, you know, the characters within it represents, you know, mental struggles and things that we have Eeyore himself representing depression. And so how did they, they, treat depression by being there you right. know uh how do we how do we treat these moments uh where we where we want to be isolated well by, by not isolating and by choosing community you know i heard it said one time and and the more i i studied out the more i believe it that you know the worst part of hell is you know, and there's going to be a lot of bad things in hell. It's not going to be, hey, we're having one big party. I know the world tends to think that, but that's not what it is. Um, there's weeping, there's wailing, there's gnashing of teeth. My Bible tells me that everyone has their own personal tormentor. Um, and so it doesn't sound like a fun place, but the more I study it out, the worst part of hell is not the weeping, it's not the wailing, it's not the gnashing of teeth, it's not the eternal lake of fire, it's not the tormentor, it's none of that. It's eternal separation right, from the most pure love that is in possible existence, that is the love of God. And so think about that. Why does the enemy want us isolating ourselves? Because the community within the Father within the body of Christ is the greatest possible gift that God could have ever given us. He created us for a purpose to worship him, to love him, to serve him, and then looked at us and said, it's not good that we dwell alone. Mm. <laughs> I mean, so true. one of the very first things he says about his creation, first thing is it is good. The next thing he says is it is not good that man should dwell alone. Right. This is great. I can't have it all in one place by itself. I need to give him more. Right. And so he gives him more community by, by uh, giving him Eve and, and giving him uh, the family. And, and this, these are one of God's greatest gifts. And yet, whenever we come across trauma, our very first instinct is to pull away from these things when really we should draw in all the more to the family unit, to our love uh, right. for each other in these relationships and our love for God. Uh, there's, there's, there's healing in that. You know, before we, before we started podcasting, one of the things we were discussing just among us was um, mm -hmm. how in, in Jewish culture and in ancient biblical culture, um, when someone died, there was a period of mourning. Mm -hmm. right. You know, that they set aside everything to mourn that death. They put on sackcloth. They mm -hmm. sat in ashes in some cases. There were people that would come really just to cry with them. And and, and sometimes we look at that and we have a hard time relating to that. And, and we say, well, man, how weird is that that they've got professional mourners? I'm not sure that's more weird than, it, than, than our Western thing of pretending like nothing bad just happened is. Right. right. So they leaned into the reality that 
a, a, tra- a tragedy, a trauma just happened here, and we're going to stop, and we're going to mm-hmm. acknowledge this, and we're going to mourn, and we're going to deal with it. But then there was a moment, there was a set number of days after which they changed their clothes, and, mm-hmm. and they, they cleaned themselves up, and they reentered society. Now, did that mean that they were no longer mourning? No. That, that, that the grief is still there, but it means that they that by in, by way of ritual they were saying to themselves, there is a time to go full into mourning. Mm-hmm. There is a time to fully embrace grief, and we have a real hard time with that. But yeah. that's that's Bible. Uh, Solomon said to everything there is a season, right? So there's a time for that. But then there's also a time to change our clothes and begin to reintegrate into these healthy connections, I think the failure to grieve appropriately sometimes makes trauma become a life sentence as opposed Mm -hmm. to a temporary uh, destination or a temporary experience. So we got to be careful not to let trauma so impact our mind that we stay anchored in the past and we can't maintain these connections in the present uh, and, and, uh, yeah, I'm blank for a second. So talk to me, and it's then all right. I know where we're heading next. You know, so uh, we talked about those those three different areas uh, of how trauma roots you in the past, distraction roots you in the present, and and ambition roots you in the future. Really, I think we tend to to focus on those latter two uh, quite a bit. A lot of people will will be tra- traumatized and stay rooted in that moment for forever. And the other way that people seem to deal with it is, um, well, you know, for example, you lose a loved one, and I, I just need to get these funerals over, and I just need to get back to work, and right. and you know, so I can focus on my work, put my head down, and just. Well, really, I think that distraction and ambition when they're used the wrong way are really just trauma in disguise. Right. Uh, it's, it's our refusal to address that trauma. It's our refusal to uh, process through it correctly. And, and it's built off of exactly what you're talking about. Pastor Robbie is what is that set time? Well, I don't really know because grief is a process that, that other people uh, process differently than I do. I may take a week, and process and be okay. Uh, and then I'm, I'm got the mindset of, okay, I'm moving on. And when I say I take a week and then I'm okay, I mean, I've made my decision that the time of mourning is over and now I'm going to, uh, move on with my life. But like you said, we may continue to work through that as we go, uh, for, for decades, for longer, you know, but at the same time, we have to understand that that trauma and distraction that they they permanently want to keep you locked in to things that do not allow you to address the problem. They both keep the elephant in the room, so sure. to speak. Um, and the problem with being in a small room with an elephant is is you know you can't breathe in that. You know uh, that elephant takes up a lot of oxygen, takes up a lot of space, takes up a lot of room. You can't survive that way right. because the elephant in the room needs to be addressed, you know? Very, very true. And so so you're right. I think distraction and ambition can be 
they can be responsive to trauma. What do I mean by ambition? I mean, I mean, you're trying so hard to get ahead in life that you neglect what's directly in front of you. Exactly. There, there's been a lot of people that raise children that their children really just grew up. They never knew their parents because the parents were so busy trying to create a life for their kids right. that they never came home and did life with their kids, right? right? That, that that we become obsessive about trying to, uh, to, to make all these things happen, but we miss what's right in front of us. I've seen people that were deeply rooted in church, that were very committed to church. They right. get a promotion, they start doing well in their job, mm-hmm. and suddenly they forget that God blessed them with right all that to begin with right. and their ambitions overtake their faith right and they can't love the lord their god with all their heart soul mind and strength or the neighbor as themselves because they don't have time they're too busy feeding their ambitions right absolutely i mean you and i've probably heard it a million times um, of somebody you know coming in pray that i get this job because if i get it it'll be so much better for my family i'll be able to give more in ties i'll be able to help out more with the church uh, all right. Well, tell me a little bit about this job. Well, I'll be working, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be working Sundays and I'll be working Wednesdays and blah, 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 blah. And oh, so all the time that, that you normally were coming to church and, you know, and we just smile and say, oh, that's great. We're excited for you. But, you know, if we're honest, we want to say, I'm going to pray you don't get that job because you won't have time to serve God. And and like you said, I think we get so focused on I think we get so focused on our American dream, idealistic version of what Christianity and what Jesus is, that we lose sight of who he really is right. and what Christianity is really supposed to be about. And we think, you know, you, know, you and I were talking about something completely different earlier. You know, uh, Martin Luther King, he had a dream and his dream was was beautiful and his dream was wonderful and something that we should aspire toward. You know, our dreams are more like, hey, I, I dream that I have a brand new car in the driveway or I dream this or I dream that, you know, at, at the same time, I sit and I think just what would it look like if we put the American dream on one side and Christianity on the other side and realize that we can pursue Christianity and still be patriotic and all that stuff without making Jesus star spangled all the time. Right. Yeah. So the other element there is distraction. Yeah. And if I was to say that there's one demon that is afflicting the American church, I think distraction may be it. Um, and this is something we've got to tenaciously dig in and address if we want to grow in in Christ, right? So um, years ago, whenever parents were bringing kids to church, and by the way, I'm not speaking this theoretically, I have six kids. Uh, when parents would bring kids to church and their kids would act up or whatever, they would walk through the difficult process of teaching their children to sit reasonably and pay attention and all those things. And maybe we'd get some colors or some things that, that they could do. But I noticed a phenomenon several years ago as we started sticking screens in front of our kids with 
earbuds in their ears. So what we're doing, we're like, oh, they're, they're doing great in church. No, they're watching TV is what's happening. And so we are effectively dismissing our kids from church for adult benefit. Now, if you're out there and you're guilty of this, then go ahead, get mad at me, keep listening, and we can all move on and love each other together. Because here's the reality is that if you are sticking a screen in front of your kid's face and putting earbuds in their ear, they're not even going to church. They're just going to the movie theater. Um, we've got to stop and realize that distraction is not our friend. Now, lest we stop there and 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 and, and miss the point, because we can all process through that our, ourselves later. Adults are very guilty of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I hear a lot of adults fuss at teenagers about constantly being on their phone, but observation has taught me that it is adults that actually struggle with scrolling Facebook in church more than teenagers do, right? So there's got to be a place where we deal with those distractions and we start to say, what is it about me that doesn't want to be present where I'm at? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, what What is it about that? And we got to deal with that because just like trauma or ambition can steal our presence, distraction can do the same. Right. Mm -hmm. The glory of God can fall. We don't even know it because we weren't paying attention. We got to anchor ourselves in the moment. We got to anchor ourselves right. in the presence and say, you know what? Right now, I've chosen to be right here. Does that mean that you can't, you know, if if, if you know that you have an important meeting that is waiting that you, or if your kids are with a sitter or you've got whatever going on, does that mean you can't be available? So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we, we struggle, I think, to be present in the moment and to say, I'm going to be right there. And that's not without consequence because connection is the nature of our faith is the nature of our relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to reference the, the Rat Park experiment in a minute. If you're familiar with Rat Park, then you know possibly that there are some there are some limitations to this study, but it's intriguing nonetheless. My interview the other day, uh, Ben pointed me to this. And I, it's literally just blown my mind. So basically this, the war on drugs was launched in America following a set of experiments where they would take this rat, they would put it in a cage by itself, they would inject it intravenously with some cocaine, and then make a lever available where it could hit it and get a shot of cocaine whenever it wanted it, right? Mm -hmm. So then it has water, it has food, it has these other things. But what they found is that over and over and over again, that rat would choose that cocaine, literally hitting that lever until it died. And, and so it, it developed this mindset through continually repeated experiences that Drugs were such a demon that if you ever got hooked, you could never get free and you would literally just kill yourself trying to get a fix. Now, first of all, I want to clarify that I am not denying that there is a definite chemical element to drug use that right. is catastrophic and people should absolutely leave them alone. Fast forward, though, and so we, we launch a trillion dollar war on drugs, after which the numbers have not improved at all. But they continue. We continue to have a glow. We, we continue to have a pandemic of of, of drug use, right? right. And, and all this. So, fast forward. Th there is a, a psychologist that began to question the validity of these studies, and he said, "Hey, I noticed a common denominator in all those studies. The rats were always alone. Mm -hmm. So let's leave the drug." opportunity in place, but let's build a rat park. You know, yeah. let's, let's find all the fun things that a rat might want to do and put <laughs> it in there. Uh, and, and let's not put him alone. Let's put about 20 rats in there. Mm -hmm. You know what they found? They found that over and over again, rats who lived in community chose not 
to do drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them quit entirely. Some of them moderated it. But it was pretty consistent that those that had connections chose not to kill themselves with drugs. Now, if you're listening, you may be thinking, hey, I, I know people that um, have plenty of people in their life. Yeah, but here's the thing. You can be in a room full of people and still be isolated. Absolutely. There's got to be community. There's got to be connection. And so this was the ultimate conclusion of uh, Johan Hari wrote about this in uh, Following the Scream. He said the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Mm -hmm. I think if only we could stop and say, hey, I think I read that somewhere. Oh, yeah. 3,500 years ago, Mm -hmm. God said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then 2,000 years ago, Jesus repeated it and went on to say, in the second commandment's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. We need connection. We need presence. We got to go up on the mountain and be there. And so, you know, we're coming into Resurrection Sunday. That's this Sunday. Absolutely. And it's a good opportunity for those that have maybe been disconnected. Maybe you've been out of church to say, you know what? I'm going to go. When I get there, I'm going to be there. I'm going to lay aside everything else for a bit. I'm going to prioritize the presence of God in my life. Could I encourage you, if you're going to do that, go all in with it yeah. and just say, hey, I'm going to see what God does. And while you're at it, why not connect with some people along the way? Don't do it alone, but meet some folks. Bring your family, bring your friends, yeah. make connections, be there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm... I'm completely blown away by something that we brought up earlier, that the more I continue to think about it, the more I realize how for years we've just really done this Christian thing wrong. I'm completely blown away about how people want to privatize faith because the more I lean into community, the more I fall in love with Jesus. And I don't think that those two are coincidental or separate from each other. The more I try to put others' needs before me, the more I feel connected to the Father. And trust me, I I have had a lifetime of living very selfishly. Um, You know, one of my major issues growing up was the fact that I was very spoiled and I felt like the world pretty much revolved around me. And as I've gotten older, I've come out of that mindset and I realized the more of me I give away, the more I continually find myself renewed and and strengthened. Um, You know, it's almost like Jesus predicted that and said, anybody who's willing to lose their life for my sake will find it. Right. You know, Um, people would be shocked to hear that, that, even though I'm very extroverted, I don't particularly like being around people all the time. I am the most introverted extrovert you'll ever find in your life. Because if you asked me, hey, what would you want to do? I don't necessarily want to be around a million people. I want to sit at home in my recliner and watch episodes of The Mandalorian and try and figure out <laughs> who this character was that I didn't notice before. And, uh, you know, that's that's me. I, I am absolutely a nerd and I want to nerd out at all times. But I understand that that is not healthy. I understand that that is not good. And that leads to a place that 
drives me far away from what God intended. So I said all of that yeah. to say this is that we function better in community. We do as people. And there are a lot of times people just think, well, they don't want somebody like me at, at their church. Can I just tell you to be honest with you, a hundred percent honest, as true as I can be without spilling everybody's tea that I know I cannot begin to tell you how many people are involved in our church, uh, church in general, let alone our church, who said to themselves before they came to church for the right. first time, if they knew who I was, they wouldn't want me in their church. If they knew what I had been through, they wouldn't want me. Uh, I can't tell you the number of preachers I know who have said to themselves, if they knew the kind of person I was before I came to Jesus, they wouldn't want me to preach to them. Right. Can I just tell you, one of our biggest problems is that we're not willing to get over ourselves and realize that we're all broken people and we're in community because we live life better together. Sure. We live more like Christ when we do it together. And so I just want to encourage you that within the sound of my voice, if you don't have a home church or maybe you've just not been to church in a while, Maybe once upon a time you attended church or even attended our church and you just got out for one reason or another. I just want to encourage you, give, give it another try. And I don't come this Sunday, come be a part of, of Resurrection Sunday services and, and come be a part of that. And that's wonderful. I want you to be a part of that. But don't just try it once. Right. Give it a couple tries. You know, come to service. Come be a part of one of our family nights. Come be a part of what we do on Wednesday nights with our with our youth services or our adult Bible studies. Come be a part of link groups. Come be a part of you know uh, if you're a woman one of our one of our ladies nights and and just enjoy fellowship, guys. We have a uh, a grill and chill for guys coming up this month. Come be a part of that right. and recognize that when we live life together, it's better. Mm. And we're not alone in this. That's, I guess that's the thing that I'm really wanting you to get right now. If you're listening is that you're not alone and that we want to live life with you. And we want you to understand that connection is powerful and we want to be connected with you in, in any possible way that we can. So, um, if you do want to join us on Sunday, we will be at our new location, 2424 West Clark Road. It's the former Clarksville Cinema. It is now going to be Link Church, and we are super excited, and we would love to see any and every one of you there. Absolutely. Our permanent location going forward uh, from this point is is there at 2424 West Clark Road here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Uh, if you cannot be there in person, you can always join us online uh, on Facebook. We have our serve our our 11 a.m. services streamed uh, on Facebook, and so we would love for you to join us. If you can join us in person, we have one service at 9:30, and we have another one at 11:05. Um, and as I stated, we would just love to have you. Um, if you're listening and you're thinking about giving us a try and you've never been there before, um, come find come find Pastor Robbie. 
introduce yourself. Come find Sister Lydia or myself. Pastor Rob is usually a Roman greeter, walks around shaking people's hands, saying hi to people. Lydia and I are usually on the stage and we're happy to shake hands and say hi to people. Come introduce yourself to us. Say, hey, we heard your podcast and I'm here because you told me to give church a try. We would be thrilled to meet you. We'd be thrilled to shake your hand. Uh, One of the ways that I like to phrase it is, maybe you're not sure about this God and Jesus thing. Well, then come investigate Christianity with us. Amen. You know, we're, we're still exploring Christianity ourselves, you know, uh, Pastor Robbie and I, yeah, Pastor Robbie and I have, have both stated and Lydia has stated before that, uh, you know, we got saved when we were kids. You know, Pastor Robbie was a uh, uh, an, an older teen when he got his heart right with God. I was uh, seven. Lydia was six or seven years old. So we've been doing this most of our lives and yet we're still exploring and investigating Christianity and still, still learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. And so come join us on that. That's, that's, I guess that's the plea that I have. And we're going to turn this back over because we're out of, uh, pretty much out of time. Uh, we're going to turn it back over to you, Pastor Robbie, and let you close us in prayer. Um, yeah, let's pray. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you for all those oh, that so are listening today. God, I want to thank you for the gift of presence, that you believed in presence so much, Lord, that you came to be among us. Your word says in John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. Lord, I thank you that you chose to enter our world because we were unable to enter yours. Lord, I just pray for all those that are listening, Lord, that you would heal their ability to attach and to connect in healthy ways, first of all, with you and secondly, with others. Lord, I pray that you would give to people the gift of relationship with you. And in doing so, would you bless them with the gift of community? Lord, for those that may be struggling with feelings of isolation and and abandonment and depression, any of those things, we just ask by the mighty name of Jesus that you would enter into their world with them and begin to lift them up. Lord, for those that trauma has stolen their ability, Lord, to be in a relationship, I pray for healing from those old wounds, that you would just release your grace and your love. Lord, for those that are bound by distraction, help us to get focused on you and who you are, Lord, and on the power of just being. Father, Let us die to our ambitions, not in a sense that we become lazy, but in a sense that we prioritize the moment and realize, God, it's all about you. Father, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us again for the E5 podcast, and we look forward to spending time with you again uh, next week. Uh, We'll see you then. Until then, may God bless you, may he keep you, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you.